This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen here with you. While they just keep coming and coming across multiple states, the reports of creepy clowns, clowns in vans, clowns in the woods, clowns lurking in the shadows, clowns chasing people, creepy clown sightings, and even some crimes reported. And even Ronald McDonald now is being affected. So if you're afraid of clowns, you're not alone. And there's a word for it, colrophobia. It turns out that people have been frightened by clowns for centuries. And here with more on all of this and how to approach phobias in general is Dr. Verl Garadia. He is a, a forensic psychiatry fellow at Upstate Medical University. Welcome, Dr. Garadia. Glad to be here. So tell us what this phenomenon is. I mean, what is, what about, what's happening with these creepy clown sightings? So it seems since uh, the month of August... Uh, there have been uh, reported sightings in, in different pockets of the world. Uh, even Not in, just America, actually, in Europe as well. Uh, absolutely. Uh, so some countries in Europe, uh, it's definitely spreading in the United States as well. It started somewhere on the West Coast, and now it's all over the place. Uh, what the reports say is that they have uh, people dressed up in clown outfits who are... Uh, basically uh, trying to harass kids, trying to menace them. Uh, they have vans and they're trying to kidnap kids. One of them trying to attack a kid. Uh, so these are uh, clowns, people dressed up as clowns doing criminal behavior. But there are also people doing the same, dressing up as clowns who are maybe less, I mean, they're not necessarily doing criminal things, but they're almost trying to kind of capitalize on this generalized fear that's being promoted. Absolutely. So yeah. it's not that every single person is a criminal, but it's almost like it's becoming a contagion and people are just thinking, oh, this is kind of cool. Kids will get, teenagers will get dressed up like clowns to, to basically frighten people. So why is it, first of all, is it common to be fearful of clowns? And if so, why? It's just as common as uh, being fearful of most other things. Uh, it all depends on your individual experiences growing up, I think, for the most part. Uh, as to why, so there have been some theories put forward as to why something that's usually supposed to be, you know, uh, a, ch a child's playmate or, uh, you know, child-friendly character who's Yeah, a jolly, yeah. you know, someone who's got balloons and, 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 you know, flowers and... So why would someone be scared of it? Uh, so one theory that uh, has uh, that has really caught on, it's called the Uncanny Valley Theory. Uncanny Valley. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. So it comes from the field of robotics. Uh, they discovered that when they started making humanoid robots, uh, they found that when, when there's a robot that almost looks like a human being, like it's 99% there, but there's that something missing, people are more fearful of something that almost resembles a human being, as opposed to being scared of something that's totally metallic in a robot or something that's completely human. So that's very interesting. So it's almost like something that has, is humanoid or human facsimile somehow engenders fear. Yes, that's what they have found. But do they, but, but the truth be told, clowns have had, you know, for, for centuries had this kind of potentially dark side. And it's interesting to me that this has been perpetuated throughout, you know, the centuries as to, but what about
about, is it that there's something hidden? You know, it's, I mean, I understand the field of robotics is a new way to look at it or new research to underscore it. But what about a anyone seeing a clown that would necessarily make them not trust them? I mean, the only other thing I do know is historically there, has, there, is a, um, there have been circumstances of people perpetuating crime. This fellow, um, John Gacy, I guess, actually basically kidnapped a child and killed a child in clown outfits, saying that a clown can do anything kind of thing to, to children. So, there, I mean, there's been some reality to it. But is there more of a deeper psychological reason that you can think of from your experience? Well, I would think there's the there's the aspect of being hidden and not uh, of people not being able to see who you truly are. Ah, uh, that's the disguise. The disguise is usually loud, garish, uh, not not really sober. Uh, and and again, you know, the uncanny valley theory is it's recent mm -hmm. uh, from the field of robotics, but the basis of it is neurobiological, uh, which means that the fear has been carried through generations for sure. So that's why we can also explain people were afraid of deformed people in the medieval ages and people who look different, who are human, but not almost human. So I would think there's, a, there's this aura of mystery. You don't really know who the clown is, who's behind the makeup or who the person is. So where there's mystery, it's almost like there's evil in, in some way. I mean, there's almost that connection where there's mystery, there's something unknown. It must be evil. It must be bad in some ways. That's possible. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm Linda Cohen along with psychiatrist Dr. Viral Garadia. We're talking about fear of clowns and other phobias. So how does this evolve, though? I mean, what's the theory in terms of, specifically, let's start with clown phobias. How does that get started? generally for children? Well, most phobias, you know, like, like clown phobia, uh, uh, usually develop uh, in, in childhood or early adolescence. Uh, now, there's two theories that have been put forward to uh, how these come through. Uh, the first is, it's called the classical conditioning theory, where you have something that's benign and harmless, but then you have some traumatic event or memory associated with it. But once the traumatic event is removed, the benign object now becomes a symbol for the trauma. So you fear the benign object instead of the trauma. So to give you an example, if, if a child goes to the circus and has a great time, you know, watches the clowns and the trapeze fooling around, but then the circus catches fire uh -huh. and the kid almost dies and it undergoes a traumatic event, the, the child is probably going to fear everything in the circus, even though they had nothing to do with it. Mm -hmm. uh, that's one theory. Uh, s the second theory is, uh, and it, especially for younger kids, uh, they learn from seeing their parents. So when, when you're five years old, you don't know whether you should be scared of spiders or dogs. You, you've never encountered the world. So they look at you. So if you're scared of dogs, your kids are going to learn, oh, that's something to be feared. I need to learn how to be fearful of it and avoid it because it's going to hurt me. So that's one explanation for perhaps why even today when, when parents, rightly so, might be afraid of seeing a clown in an, in an unlikely circumstance, let's say wandering on the street, they would exude some fear and therefore the children obviously similarly would pick up on that fear. Absolutely. So what's the natural history of, of fears like that, though? What I mean is... 
over time, do people grow out of them? Or is it something that stays with you throughout your life? Specifically, let's talk about the clown phobia, and then I want to get into phobias in general. Sure. Uh, I would say it's quite likely you can grow out of it, uh, especially if you don't have repeated exposure to it. Uh, you know, when we are young, uh, our, our fear uh, response is, is it's, it's generated through a, a very unevolved brain. You know, unevolved. But, it's like our mind is still developing. Yes. It's what they used to call the lizard brain part of our brain. Mm -hmm. And, you know, once we grow into teenagers and in our early 20s, we develop our what they call the frontal lobes, which, which are responsible for intelligence and having uh, more control over your emotions. It overrules your, your fear centers in the brain. So that's a, that's a very simplistic way of explaining. It's quite likely you can grow out of it if you don't have repeated exposures to the same phobia, to the same stimulus. So let's talk then about basically how, some, we, you know, let's take that and let's extrapolate that to phobias in general because people have fear of water, they have fear of heights, they have fear of spiders, they have fear of many, many, many things, dark, fear of the dark, whatever. Um, basically, how do you recommend or what do you recommend in terms of trying to either help children deal with those phobias, help them maybe avoid developing them, and, you know, maybe recommendations for the kinds of treatment that you would undertake in that circumstance? Oh, sure. Uh, best way to, to treat a phobia is to never have it in the first place. So my response to that would be, you know, if you have a young kid, if you have a young relative, uh, you, need to, you need to model their behavior. So if they uh, are scared of something, it's okay. Firstly, you should acknowledge their fear and not... Uh, Chastise uh, them for the fear. Right, right, and not invalidate them. Uh, but you you can model good behavior. You can model, you know, if someone's scared of the water, you know, the pair, for example, the parent can say, look, I'm in the pool, nothing's happening to me. It's safe, you can come in. And, you know, taking it seriously, but still normalizing it, it's it's the best way to uh, to, to normalize the whole event and, and not and have And avoid it. the development of a real phobia around something like water, for example. Absolutely. So it's very much what you said again in terms of how things are learned. When things are learned vicariously by watching someone be afraid, a parent or a relative, obviously then the the obverse of that or the opposite of that is for you to instead model, I don't want to say bravery, but you know the fact that you're not afraid of something and encourage that child to see that. Absolutely. I think most parents do do that throughout life. But if a phobia gets started, and it's pretty well ingrained, even in adults, uh, we don't have a lot of time, but I'd just like to have you give me a run-through of what are the kinds of treatment options or the kinds of ways you approach that. Sure. Uh, there have been uh, a few uh, psychotherapeutic methods that have been developed specially for you know, specific kind of phobias. I can, I can run down through them really quickly. Uh, you know, the first is called prolonged exposure where the person is forced to be around whatever the person is scared of in, in a safe environment, which, so the idea is that uh, over time, they will 
grew out of their phobia by it's having... It's almost like new learning. They would be able to learn that it really isn't so frightening. Absolutely. Is that done incrementally, though? Is it done in small amounts, a little at a time kind of so, thing? Yes, absolutely. So that is called systematic desensitization, mm -hmm. where you do it in small increments. Mm -hmm. So if someone's scared of heights, they go to the third floor first, then the fifth floor, then the seventh, and before going all the way to the rooftop. You don't take them straight to the rooftop. But it, it needs to be done in a supportive, uh, helpful, you know, friendly environment to take away the traumatic association with that, with that stimulus. And was there some, another one you wanted to explain, or is that basically the whole kind of Well, a, a new upcoming theory is called virtual reality exposure therapy, where people are taken into a, a computer-generated virtual reality of their specific phobia, and then they spend enough time with it and you know, use some cognitive behavioral methods, uh, and it helps them treat their phobia. It's still an up-and-coming method. So the bottom line is it's treatable, but it, as you said, the best way to manage it in general, especially when you have a developing child, is to try to avoid the development of a particular phobia. So basically, in either case, you're really um, attempting to mitigate the effects because it can be pretty crippling, I would think. I mean, you must have seen that as well, just very briefly, when Absolutely. people have phobias that are untreated. Absolutely. I mean, I've seen people who have had to give up their jobs because they couldn't stop washing their hands or, you know, their office was in a high rise and they couldn't take it or they were scared of crowds and they couldn't drive. So it, it's absolutely crippling. This is a very serious thing. Uh, you know, we, we think of clowns as something as really funny, but, you know, there's, there's a lot of people who have a lot of serious impairment. Well, it sounds like there's some hope there, and I appreciate your coming in and talking about some of the therapeutic interventions that obviously can be successful. Thanks so much. My guest has been Dr. Viral Garadia. He's a forensic psychiatry fellow in the Department of Psychiatry at Upstate Medical University. I'm Linda Cohen. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air.